as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, as we continue our study together of God's amazing word as seen through the lens of the book of Acts. This week, I was in one of those uh, team meetings, uh, strategic meetings, as we were looking at some of the initiatives we're hoping to do as a church. And uh, I was handed a document, kind of an exciting document, saying, here's where we are, and here's where we're going, and here are the things that we are doing. And uh, a team member handed it to me, and at the, at the end of the document, it gave us an indicator of where we are. It would have a red, a piece of red dot, if it was something that we haven't started yet. It was a yellow dot if it was something that we have started that we haven't finished. And it was a green dot if it was something we started and finished. Now, isn't that fantastic? I mean, to have your church be so organized that we want to know where we are. There's one big problem. I'm colorblind. Okay? And so as I see all the things we're doing, I couldn't tell what was red and what was green. So uh, did we start these things? Did we finish these things? So another team member had to grab it out of my hand and say, R, G. I mean, it was kind of embarrassing that I just couldn't see what the rest of the world can see. And that's what happens when you're color deficient. Now, don't feel sorry for me. It's not like we see the world in black and white. But for the most part, I just can't see as many colors as you do. You see, as Christians, we have the ability to see the world in a way that the world cannot see itself. You see, the amazing thing of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done for us is that he has made us alive in Christ Jesus. And, and part of this life that now reigns in us, if we are his by his grace, is we have a different set of lenses to see the world. And everything should be different if you're his. It begins with this. By God's grace, we see Jesus for who the Bible tells us he is, and he really is. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. That Jesus came and he brought the kingdom of God with him. The kingdom of God is now here. And for his people, we should see the entire world through the lens that Jesus' kingdom has come, that Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings, that he is God's anointed Christ, and that one day he will make all things new. And he's already started that process. And so his people are called now to see the world through that lens of the gospel. What does that look like? Well, we should see beauty in a completely different way than the world sees beauty. Yesterday, I was up uh, at, at dark 30 uh, to drive my son Caleb over to St. Pete for a baseball tournament. And as we drove down I-4 uh, between Tampa and uh, Lakeland and Tampa, the sun was rising. And the sun was rising, and you should have seen the colors. I mean, oh my goodness, did God have his paintbrush out. And it was almost like you wanted to pull over because I was seeing it through the rearview mirror. And I was like more looking back than I was looking forward, saying, whoa, God, what a masterpiece. You see, when you have the privilege of having the lenses of the kingdom of God and Jesus is Lord and Savior, we now have the ability to see beauty and be thankful and to say, God, that's yours. God, that points to you. God, you are the best artist there ever was. God, you are awesome. And you should feel that way when you go to the beach or the mountains or when you see your kids or anytime you see beauty, it's only a reflection of his beauty. 
But not only do we see the world differently in its beauty, we also should see the world differently in its deformity and its brokenness and its sinfulness. See the reality that, that that's all a result of, of man's rebellion. It's all a result of what we call the fall of man as we, man and women, rebelled against God and brought sin and death and a, and a curse to the world. As a matter of fact, the whole earth is, is still under a curse of sorts, a curse of sin. And now we have the privilege and the responsibility of seeing the world through the lens of Jesus needs to be Lord of all that is broken. And we now have the privilege of bringing his hope, his light into the darkness, his beauty into the void, his order into the chaos. And that's what God has called us to do. The book of Acts, I mean, it starts off uh, uh, amazingly that Jesus, this resurrected Savior, has appeared. And he's appearing for 40 days to his apostles. And as he's appearing to them as a resurrected living King of kings and Lord of lords, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Specifically, Scripture says that. And really what he's doing is this. He's giving them the ability to see. The ability to see the world as he sees the world. Through that kingdom perspective of Jesus being Lord, not only does he give them the ability and teachings that, about the kingdom, now he's going to empower them. In Acts 1.8, it says that the Holy Spirit descends upon them and, and us. And now we are empowered to be his, his witnesses, his storytellers. But this empowering is amazing because it does more than just allow us to be his witnesses and storytellers. It gives us now the ability to see and to see the world, and to see the world, even its brokenness, and give us a call to respond in a way that glorifies God and points to the reality that Jesus has come. Now he basically says to his disciples and to us, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, be my witnesses. He could have said it this way. As far as the curse is found, as far as there's brokenness, as far as there's those who, who are broken physically, mentally, spiritually, as far as there's poverty, as far as there's the lack of the shalom of God, any, anywhere where there isn't the presence of God, I'm going to send you to go. I'm going to give you eyes to see. I'm going to give you power to speak. And I'm, I'm going to call you to touch. And I'm going to bring healing through you. Because the kingdom has come. And here's the good news. We can't miss this. There's a day coming, my friends, where there'll be no more brokenness. There's a day coming where there'll be no more sorrow. There's a day coming where there'll be no more sickness. It's not today. But there's hope today and there's life today. And we are called to enter into what is broken today for the glory of God. This morning, we're going to see through this text three things. And when I follow along your bulletin, you'll see them there. We're going to be, see the call to seeing, through, seeing the broken through the eyes of Jesus. That if we are his, he's calling us to, to see the world, especially the broken, through his eyes. Giving what you have in the name of Jesus. Again, if you, by God's grace, are his, we have the privilege now to give that which God has given to us in his name. And lastly, raising others up to the praise of Jesus. Let's look at this incredible story. It's in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 consists of two things. It consists of a miracle of a healing that we're going to see in verses 1 through 10. And then you hear a sermon explaining what just happened. To me, that's no fair. I mean, come on, Peter. You know, I mean, who's not going to listen to that sermon? 
You're going to raise somebody up who's been crippled for 40 years and then preach. And no wonder everybody's like, whoa, that's awesome. I don't have that power to do that right now. So the Holy Spirit's going to have to pay attention, listen to what God has for us here. This is some amazing stuff. Remember, Luke wrote this a long time ago. Uh, he wrote it uh, for the church that was, that was growing at that time. But because he wrote it inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote this for you. No matter who you are, uh, no matter where you've been, God doesn't want you to hear this story as a story. He has given us his living word to have you enter in to this story, to be transformed, to become more like him. Let's read God's word together. I'll read it aloud if you'll read aloud along silently with me. Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Oh, that's 3 p.m. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of all those who are entering the temple. Well, we read, let me give you a little fast flash forward in chapter 4, verse 22. It tells us that this man was 40. He's had 40 years. He was, he was basically somewhere between 40 and 50. My age makes me really connect to this man. And by, also, we also need to know that there was no welfare system at the time. Uh, this is what someone like this would do. A God-fearer uh, who would say, place me near God's people uh, so that I can receive something to live. And you have this picture. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Remember, 40 years of atrophy, 40 years of never being used. And immediately the good news, he's raised up. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let us pray. Father God, you are the same God who in the name of Jesus raised up and healed that cripple, that beggar, that man who had been enslaved to that brokenness for over 40 years. And you did it to the wonder and amazement and awe of all who saw. Father, I ask that you would come and open up your word and what it means to us so that we too can join in the wonder and the awe, and the amazement, and the powerful name of Jesus, and what he does, continues to do, through the broken like us. Father, I, I plead with you, in the name of Jesus, that you would give us ears to hear your, his voice,
your voice, not mine. That, Father, you would fill our minds with understanding, that we could understand what this means for us and the significance. Give us the eyes to see your truth in this passage. But do more. Give us the hearts that believe, that believe in your name, that believe in the authority of your name and the power of your name. And give us the faith to embrace the name that is above every name. Father, would you come with such power that you would empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of the name of Jesus. That we would be like this man. That we would be leaping for joy in your presence. That you're with us and you love us and you heal us. Oh God, may our feet leap and walk in obedience would have said that is my opinion or wrong, may that be forgotten and fall away. But what is said that is true and that contains the good news of Jesus, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior? And it's in his powerful name we pray, amen. Right after graduating from college, I had the privilege of marrying Katie and shortly thereafter, within a few weeks of our marriage, uh, we were up in New York City. Uh, living and starting a new life together. I actually had a one-bedroom apartment in Edison, New Jersey. I had landed a job in Midtown Manhattan, right at 34th and 9th. And what a joy it was to be young and not have any kids and living in the city that is unlike any other city, New York City. Is it not unlike any other city? If you've been there, you're probably going to love it. You might hate it. But there's nothing like New York. I mean, I really believe there's a New York Minute. Somehow time seems to go faster there than anywhere else. But you know, when you're a New Yorker, you become a New Yorker fairly quickly and you can spot all of you who really aren't New Yorkers. I mean, non-New Yorkers stick out like sore thumbs. I mean, it's just so easy to tell that you're not from there. And you know what gives you away? It's your gaze. It's what you're looking at. And it's going to be a gaze upward and a gaze downward. All non-New Yorkers do this. Oh, my goodness. Will you look at that? It's amazing. Oh, my. And you're walking like this. And you basically should have a sign on you that says, I am obviously a visitor. They see you clearly with your gaze upward. And it is pretty amazing. I mean, there's no city like that. I mean, it's incredible, the skyscrapers. It's incredible, a city. But it's also your gaze downward. It's your gaze downward of what's around you. Is specifically the broken. Wow, oh my goodness, look at that. I've never seen that. New Yorkers have an amazing ability to gaze at absolutely nothing. I mean, they walk and they just kind of see nothing and they're there in the horizon. They don't necessarily look up. They don't necessarily look down. They're just going about their business. And listen, I'm not trying to judge them right here. You know, it sounds a little bit cold and sometimes New Yorkers can be a little cold, but it amazes me that New Yorkers can live their lives and almost see nothing. They miss it all, upwards and downwards, because they know once you make eye contact, (laughs) you're in trouble. I tell people to visit us. It would be great. You know, in a place like New York, it's like Florida. People come to visit. And so you would tell them, okay, we're going to go in the city. Here's the reality. If you're just gawking upward, you're going to be, you make yourself look like you don't belong. And if you notice someone who's broken and you make eye contact with them, you know what's going to happen. They are going to expect something from you. And so be careful. You don't want to tell them, don't look at them, but just know if you do, they're going to expect something. I'll never forget one guy, a country bumpkin like me, came to visit. He just sees this guy and he locks eyes on him. And sure enough, there was a connection maze. There was a gaze maze and he jumps up and he walked with us for two blocks. 
I mean, two blocks from my man, give me something, give me something, give me something. He said, you know, it was like, hey, you looked at him. You owe him. It's, it's New York rules. It's in the rule book. You, may look, you looked at him. You go home something. Give the guy something. You looked at him. Well, you know, the reality of this passage is the amazing the ability to see. It begins with a gaze. It begins with Peter who gazes at the broken. Matter of fact, it uses that word. He, 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 he locks in. He does more than lock in. He, he tells the broken, lock in back with me. And we see that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is empowered to be a witness, is calling us to do something that the world doesn't naturally do, to look in the eye the broken, to look in the eye the world around us, because God, by his grace, has set us free. And God, by his grace, has, has made us whole. And God, by his grace, chooses to use us to bring his healing to others. So church, obviously, we have to be the ones who see the world as it is. We are called not to look away, but to focus our gaze on those around us and to make a difference in this earth for him. But this begins with seeing, and it begins with seeing ourselves rightly. Seeing that it's only but by the grace of God that we are healed. But not only by God's grace are we healed, but we're called. We're healed and we're called, and we're called to make a difference. We're called to bring the good news of this kingdom and the healing of this kingdom through the good news that we preach and live to those around us. We basically live our lives looking at the broken and saying, this is not how it should be. This is a result of the the fall. This is not how it's going to be. He's coming back and he's making all things new. The only way we see it rightly is we realize we too are broken. And we too, just but by the grace of God, are where we are and called to what we're called. You see, this is exactly what Jesus does for us. He sees us in our, in our broken state. He sees us in our crippled state. And he, and he brings life and healing. One of my favorite passages in the book of Ezekiel, an Old Testament prophet, is Ezekiel 13. And he's talking about, God's talking about his people. And he said, I saw you. And I, I saw you. And it's, it's kind of, it's a very graphic picture of, I saw you in your birth and your blood. And, and no one was there to, to clean you. And no one was there to give you life. And I saw you and I spoke to you live life. Jesus sees us and he sees us in our brokenness and by his grace and because he's amazingly deep, deep loving God, he comes to us, he speaks to us and says, live. May my life be your life. We got to see ourselves rightly. That's what Jesus does for us. I'm going to use a statement through these next couple of points that I want you to hear. I'm going to use it repeatedly and it's this. Be open to help anyone. Be committed to help someone. I think sometimes we get overwhelmed with the problems of the world. And sometimes we don't know where to start. I mean, where do you start? It's like running into a forest fire with a squirt gun. Is it really going to matter? Is it really going to make a difference? Be open to help anyone that God puts in your path. Be committed to help someone through the eyes of what Jesus shows you is around you. Secondly, giving what you have in the name of Jesus. Several years ago, I got a phone call. It was one of those phone calls that pastors often get. It's a phone call with a frantic voice on the other side, relaying through bits and pieces of a tragedy. And the tragedy that I was about to hear was a a tragedy of a 
of a father who was out mowing his lawn. Uh, his little boy, wanting to be with his dad, runs out, unbeknownst to the father, out, kind of trailing his dad. His dad on a bigger ride on mower, puts it in reverse. He doesn't see his boy there and runs over his boy. The boy fighting for life, not knowing what's going to be left of, of what was entangled into the mower. I get to call, will you go and see this dad? I want you to know that there was no training I got at theology in seminary that prepared me for this. And becoming an ordained minister doesn't make me any more like you prepared necessarily to handle these things. And what I was overcome with was just feeling like I'm inadequate. What do you go tell a dad that you've never met before to bring him hope and comfort that just ran over his son with a lawnmower? I remember just in obedience by God's grace, getting in the car and driving down I-4. And I mean, I'm just, I was, I want you to know, I was terrified. I mean, I'm begging God, help me, God. I don't know what to say. I mean, you know, I'm going, I mean, what do I do? And I didn't know what I was going to say. And I didn't know what I was going to do. But just by the Holy Spirit's prompting, I went down and parked the car and walk into a hospital. And you go into the emergency room and you hear the wail of a father. You don't forget those. And you walk the halls, and there you see a man you've never seen before, but you know what he's been through. And all I did is just walked up and did what I knew what to do. So I hugged him. I put my arms around him, and I, I hugged him. He wept, and I, I wept. And after the, the, the embrace, we chatted, and we spent some time together. After they came to church, to live on the other side of town. Uh, the boy survived. He wound up losing his leg. He's doing great. The family's doing great. But the thing I'll never forget that came out of that whole experience is later on, it was told to me that that dad says in that hospital that day, God showed up and gave me a hug. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that he chose to use me to give someone a hug. It was amazing what I have. I give to you and I give to you in the name of Jesus. I mean, the reality is, is that God's going to call us into those situations. And it's not going to be about our silver and gold. What do we have to give? Give what we have. And the commentators want to say, well, you know, Peter and John, they didn't have, they either chose not to have it, silver and gold, or they just didn't have it. I think if they did have it, they would give, by the way. I think they would have given silver and gold. But you know what they gave? They gave what they did have was good news. And they gave it uh, with apostolic authority that they have. They gave what they have in Jesus' name. One of the things, one of the ministry partners that I love here is Jobs Partnership. Uh, Jobs Partnership is uh, for those who are unemployed or underemployed. And many of you go and help. And you say, what God has given me, men and women, is business acumen. And what I have, I give to you the name of Jesus. It's an amazing, beautiful picture. I mean, what do you have? What do you have that God has given you? You have stuff. You have stuff that the world needs. He's gifted you spiritually. He's gifted you worldwide. What do you have? God says, what you have, we are to give. But we are to give in the name of Jesus. That's the difference. What does it mean to give in the name of Jesus? It means to give in the authority of Jesus. That his kingdom has come. He is the Messiah. He is Lord. He is God. We give in the authority of Jesus and we give for the glory of Jesus. Not for the praise of us. We give because God's given us the privilege and we trust in his name. Now, we got to realize this. There's not a magic formula. 
I mean, the authority of the name of Jesus is amazing. We, we anoint many of you with oil. Uh, many of the elders will get together and anoint you in the name of Jesus, believing in the authority of Jesus, believing that the kingdom has come, and believing that Jesus can choose to heal whomever he chooses to heal. But I don't have a formula that will guarantee a healing of one. But I know that he has the authority and the power to heal all. Giving in his name. Giving also has to be in his name is spirit-led, by the way. Do you know that there was more than one guy there at, this, at the gate beautiful, right? You know that there were other people there. It wasn't that Peter went and healed them all. You're healed, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. I mean, the Holy Spirit led him to a gaze. I mean, he led him to one. And you know that there were some that were still there, not yet healed. And maybe never would be physically. And the re- here's the point. You're called to be led by the Spirit to go and touch someone's life. Be open to help anyone. Be committed to help someone. And that someone is going to be directed by the Holy Spirit. Who has God put in your life right now? Who is in your path? That you have something that they need. Love, encouragement, resources, a meal, laundry cleaning, whatever it is. What we have, we give in the name of Jesus And isn't this exactly what Jesus does for us? It's exactly what he does for us. He gives us what he has. What does he have? The righteousness of God. I'm going to give it to you. Sonship with God. I'm going to give it with you. An inheritance in the family. I'm going to give it to you. My life. I'm going to give it to you. It's exactly what the gospel tells us Jesus does for us. What I have, I give to you. And I give to you in my name. Be open to help anyone. Be committed to help someone. And then lastly, raising up others for the praise of Jesus. John Piper, great pastor um, up in Minnesota, an author. One of my favorite books that he wrote was uh, Let the Nations Be Glad. And in Let the Nations Be Glad, he says that, listen to this, you got to hang in there with me, that missions is, uh, exist because worship doesn't. That worship of God is the fuel and the goal of missions. If you didn't get it, let me say it this way. God created you and me to worship him. I told I talked about that last week. We are all created to be worshipers. And we do what we do in the church. We evangelize. We have mercy ministry. Uh, we, we do all the things that we do. Why? So that other people will be lifted up to see who they rightly are in God's eyes. And you ready for this? Worship the God who is. Our goal in all things is to worship our great God because he deserves it for who he is and he deserves it for what he has done. Everything else the church does will one day fade away. Everything that we do will cease except for what? Worship. So why does God call us to care for the broken? Why does God call us to touch those who are lame? Why does God call us to enter into people's lives for the praise and glory of Jesus so others will see him and worship him for what he has done. I love this because this is uh, raising people up. It's, it's, to me, this picture is, where is this man? He's right by the temple. He's right by at the time what they would say was the presence of God. And what happened when he was healed? He went into the temple, maybe for the first time. Certainly for the first time ever as a man who was whole, leaping and joyfully in the presence of God. And it says immediately he did it. Now, have you ever worn a cast? Have you ever had something like in a splint for a, a, a time period, a week, two weeks, a month, six months? 
Do you know how long it takes to have that atrophied muscles back into shape so you can get it working the proper way? Think about the amazing power of the gospel. This man never walked once in 40 years. Think of how how pathetically withered his legs must have been. How pathetically withered those ankles. And, And God speaks through Peter. And the man is healed. And immediately, immediately he responds joyously in the presence of God. What a privilege we have to go in his name and to bring those, that good news to others as well. To bring them into the presence of God. Because you know what? We're the temple of God. We're the temple of God. We're the ones who have the privilege of going right next to us, those who are broken, and say, let me love you in the name of Christ and do everything I can to raise you up, to show you the dignity that you deserve and to point to you with a Savior named Jesus so that you too can enter into his presence for his glory. You know, that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He raises us up, the broken, and brings us into his presence for his glorious grace. Who are you raising up? Who are you raising up to bring in the presence of God? Be open to help anyone. Be committed to help someone. But lastly, let me ask you, where did you see yourself in the story? You know, when I read a story like this, I always want to be like that hero, or I want to be like Peter, or I want to be like John, and bring that, that healing Do you know that you'll get this story? You will get this story if you see yourself rightly in the story. And guess who you are? You're that beggar who's lame, who's outside the presence of God and has no ability on your own to muster strength or will or faith to get yourself into good standing and into the presence of God. And but by God's grace, he sees us in our brokenness and he brings to us the good news of what his son has done. And he says to us, live. And because we can live by the gospel and our sins are forgiven, by grace we rise and by grace we have dignity and by grace we can say, I can enter into the presence of God until you see yourself rightly. Is that cripple? that lame one outside the presence of God being ushered in by the good news of God and the work of Christ Jesus. You miss the story. But when you see it and you realize that's who you are, do you know how joyful you want to give? You want to say, God, give me the eyes to see the broken. May I give what I have in the name of Jesus. And not only that, may I lift up others into your presence. Let us pray. Father, we thank you There's so much to this story. More than just a man for 40 years who had been crippled and broken being healed. But we see the power of the gospel. We see the power of the kingdom. Father, I pray for each one of us that we would see ourselves rightly in this story for your glory. That God... The deep, deep love of Jesus is such that he would come to those who were broken outside your presence and become broken so that we could become healed. And God, now you give us the privilege of being wounded healers, those who have been restored and are being restored to go and to touch a broken world, to lift them up into the presence of of Jesus. God, thank you for this table, this meal that we're about to partake that's just 
It's a tangible reminder of the deep, deep love of Jesus that you would be broken so that we could be healed. God, use these tithes and offerings to advance your kingdom and prepare our hearts to meet you at the table. We pray in Christ's name, amen.